And the title of the message is this, Living a Life of Thanksgiving. I think a lot of times what ends up happening for us as people is we fall prey or victim to this idea of we gather around together for this holiday. Most of us understand the origins of the holiday, that our nation was founded on godly principles. There were days of thanksgiving declared by presidents and Congress and all sorts of things. What we do on that day or should do is take moments and take time out of our schedule to express our gratitude to God for all that he's given to us. That includes the people who join us around the table. That even includes some sadness for those who have, we've lost maybe in the last few years who won't join us for Thanksgiving. It's a time, though, to really actually um, honor God and not just each other or be thankful about a new job this year or acceptance into college or whatever kind of thing you might be thankful for. But it's for us to turn our hearts and our mind and our attention towards God. I've been in some unique environments around Thanksgiving, and one of them was um, school many years ago. Too many for me to actually tell you the number. But I was in high school And we were talking about things we're thankful for right before Thanksgiving break. And I think I've shared this with you before. One of the nerds in the class who never, ever spoke out, spoke out very clearly and said, I'm thankful for erasers. And it literally is stuck with me since then. It was such a small thing, but he was thankful and he expressed gratitude about the fact that he had the ability to erase his mistakes. And I thought, man, you know... That kind of thing should be the thing that we think about throughout our everyday life. Not just on a special holiday, thinking about some small items or larger items, people and things. But we should be grateful people. Amen? You live in an awesome nation, regardless of what you hear about it. And regardless of what is happening these days, it is still a beacon of hope to the world around us because of the freedoms that we have. If you missed last week's message on politics and Jesus, I highly encourage you to go and listen to it because I thought I did a good job. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. Um, I found an awesome list online in the intro. I want to use it for the intro of the message. And it's 10 ways to live an ungrateful life. Okay, so the first five will be on the screen right here. The first is never forgive. Just hold everything in. Don't ever give forgiveness to others. The second is always complain. You, you ever met somebody who's a complainer? The third, be selfish. Don't think positively. <laughs> and here's what I'd say. Be critical all the time of everyone everywhere. How many of you are guilty of people watching? That's what we call it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's called criticism, okay? So be critical of everybody at all times, though. This is a good way to live an ungrateful life. The next five are these. Blame everyone else and never take responsibility. Have an entitled mentality where everyone owes you something. That will definitely make you an ungrateful person. Have a victimhood mentality where everybody's done something wrong to you or you're ready for a fight because you know that they're going to do something wrong towards you. 
don't ever, ever express happiness or celebrate the wins of other people. Even though the Bible clearly says that we should grieve with those who grieve and celebrate with those who celebrate. And number 10, never, ever serve others, especially in the church. Okay, If you want to live an ungrateful life, this is how you do it. And you say, well, Pastor, that sounds kind of funny and silly. But if we're honest in this room, one of those probably applies to us and jumped out to us. I really feel like having a heart and an attitude and a mindset or mentality of thanksgiving throughout every day, throughout every season of our life is important. I want you to go with me in your Bibles today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle is writing a letter to the Thessalonians. And he's writing this letter to them. And at the end of the letter, he kind of gives this um, quick list, almost in staccato fashion. Like quick, 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 two, three word sentences about what they need to do. It's his final instructions that he's giving to them in this letter. And we begin in verse 16, it says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit there is capitalized, a capital S, in all versions of the Bible, all translations. Because it's talking about not quenching the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. I want to break this down for us today. And I want to go through these commands that have been given. And help us see really how we can live a life of thanksgiving. The first one is this. Rejoice always. In other words, find something in every day, in every situation to rejoice in. I told those who joined us this morning for prayer, I said, you know what? I was so just blessed by visiting Ann and Sam Peden this week while she was in the hospital, had just had surgery that day, and they were all smiles. Not all smiles just because of the morphine or the painkillers. All smiles because they couldn't, they couldn't stop talking about how good God had been to them throughout the whole thing, how passers-by in the street of Vicksburg pulled over and stopped and asked, can we help you? Like how just amazing from start to finish, nurses and doctors and all of these things. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's only the habit of a believer to have an attitude that's positive and outward focused, even in the midst of something that's incredibly hard. They found something to rejoice in. It may be hard to find, but the point is to rejoice regardless of your circumstance. When I looked at the original Greek, which Paul wrote this in, the translation is correct. The word always actually is always. Rejoice always. It can be difficult, but it is a matter of perspective. Rejoicing is a matter of perspective. How you view your life's direction and the circumstances you're facing, that's important. Rejoicing is possible in every season because it's a choice. You have to choose to rejoice. I've met plenty of people who refuse to choose to rejoice, and they're not fun to be around. 
The question is this, do you acknowledge the hand of the author and the finisher of your faith in the chapter that you're currently living? If you can do that, then you absolutely can find a reason to rejoice. Amen? So even in conflict, even in setback, even in loss and grief, rejoicing is a choice. The second command he gives is pray without ceasing. What this means is constantly and consistently... This doesn't mean, and we've probably, you may have heard a joke about it before, or you've heard me say something silly about it. Uh, it doesn't mean that I never have a conversation that involves your name. I never say, Brandon, how are you doing? God, how's Brandon doing today? It's not, the point is not to not have conversation or interact with humans. The point is to always be available for interaction with God. And to be able to speak to him and have a state of communion established with him, the Father, the Heavenly Father, through the access that he's given you because of his son Jesus Christ and because of the empowerment that his Holy Spirit offers you. To be in a place where you can communicate with God. If somebody were to put duct tape over your mouth today you can still communicate to God, right? If somebody were to put you in shackles or chains, if somebody were to do something, you can still communicate with God. You can pray constantly and consistently. Now, I've met some weird people in my life, some real weird people. I might be related to some of them, and you might think that I'm weird myself, but I will tell you this. One of the things that has always just spoken to me and stood out to me about those in ministry that I've been around in the old school from the old days is that they are always praying. They're always walking around saying, glory to God, thank you, Jesus, it might seem a little odd to us in the here and now, but I think they had, they had an idea of what it meant to pray without stopping, to have uninterrupted conversation with God, to be ready at all times to speak to the Father, either to ask Him for something that you need or to praise Him for something that He's done or even just to be still and listen to His voice speak to you. Because prayer is a two-way street. It's a two-way conversation. We believe that the Holy Spirit still speaks today. Amen? So praying without ceasing doesn't mean that my mouth is always moving as much as it means that my heart is always open and I'm constantly and consistently attempting to be in communion with God. The third command he gives is something that applies to us definitely today and in this season. It is give thanks in all circumstances. You may have heard this verse before or read it yourself. And you may misunderstand it. So I'm going to help you today to truly understand what it means. Does it mean I am supposed to give thanks after an accident, a car wreck, a house fire, a diagnosis... A divorce. Does it mean that? 
The Bible actually tells us that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks to God for all circumstances. There are things that we face in this life that are unjust, cruel, that are wicked deeds of others, that are accidents that we that befall us, that we walk into. There are things that we can't control. There's all sorts of circumstances that God allows in our life. And the Bible tells us Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is encouraging the church to give thanks In every circumstance they find themselves. Well, how do you do that? I believe that gratitude really is not only possible in hard circumstances, but I think it's vital. I think it's vital because what it does is it helps you get through those circumstances because your focus is not on you and the problem. Your focus is elsewhere. Your focus is like the old uh, version of the Bible says, the King James Version, which you may read, and that's fine, and I'm not criticizing that. I look to the hills from whence my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. So I can give thanks in all circumstances that I face. Whether it's a trial, whether it's a conflict, whether it's adversity, gratitude is possible Because it's a choice. You can choose to give thanks in all circumstances. And when I say this, I want to be clear that giving thanks is more than words. It's more than just saying thank you. Because how many of you have ever heard somebody say thank you and they did not mean it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you, mommy, for these vegetables. How greatly I appreciate them. You know, you're like, okay, they're they're definitely, their heart's not in it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. And I'll talk about emotions in a second. These are commands that we are to obey regardless of how we feel. So we're to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not just during a three-minute prayer while the turkey gets cold on Thanksgiving Day, and you're like, oh, here we go, and dad's going to pray for the children across, you know, the nations, and no, it's not just that moment, it's you living a life, I would almost say a contented life, a life that understands or is satisfied, and not just looking for the more, 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 but just being at the place to be still and say, God, you are enough for me. I will tell you, if you have that attitude, you will find yourself giving thanks in all circumstances. And it's similar to rejoicing. Being grateful just really means that you possess that positive perspective, that you understand your life and your destiny. All of those things are heading in the direction that God wants them to, and that those things are going to be a blessing somehow, some way on the other side of them. So rather than pride or entitlement, humility is required when we say give thanks in all circumstances. The second part of verse 18 says this, for these three, well, let me tell you what it says. Your version will say different, but I've actually changed the word of God. (laughs) Sorry, don't leave just yet. Just hear me, okay? 
Pastors do this all the time to paraphrase. What I did was, it says, Paul says in your version that you're reading, it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus towards you or for you. Now, as I studied this week, and believe it or not, pastors spend hour upon hour pouring over commentaries and Bible dictionaries and all kinds of resources to be able to direct the message. As I looked at it, there was a little bit of confusion. Some people said that's only about the giving thanks part. But the majority of all the commentators said when Paul says, for this is the will of Christ or the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, it's regarding all three of those commands. It's that you would rejoice always, that you would pray without ceasing, and that you would give thanks in every circumstance. So I reworded it a little bit. For these three things are the will of God for you. It's amazing when you think, Pastor, I need to know the will of God for my life. It's there. It's there. It's there. If Paul had only just said something a little less commanding, I think we'd all be in a much better position or much better shape. If he said maybe rejoice a lot, pray as often as you can, and try to be thankful But he didn't, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give that church, and I believe this church, and every church in every generation from then till now and beyond until Jesus returns, these commands of rejoicing always, praying always without ceasing, and giving thanks in every circumstance. You say, well, Maybe it's possible that we could do this, but they they do sound impossible. And I don't know that if we agreed together today to say, I'm going to resolve to obey these verses, that next Sunday, each one of us with clear conscience could walk in and say, there is not a single moment this past week that I did not pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance, and rejoiced in every moment. It'll be hard, but it's not impossible The ability for us as humans to actually have emotions like anger, love, sadness, joy, all those things, it's a God-given gift. Emotions are a God-given gift. God has revealed himself throughout scripture as an emotional being, and we're created in the image of God. But we cannot allow ourselves to be ruled by our emotions. When we are ruled by our emotions, what we do is we open up the door for conflict and chaos and all kinds of different things that are bad that can come out of being ruled by our emotions. We must choose, hear me church, during this season of Thanksgiving, we must choose to allow ourselves to be ruled by truth And more specifically, the truth of the word of God. There are many churches that are failing at this. They are living and changing their constitutions and bylaws and their habits and all of that. Because they're living according to modern day culture and feelings. Rather than living according to the truth that's been established in the word of God. 
This is something that's important for us because we could go and live by our feelings. And if we do that, what ends up happening is chaos and confusion and conflict and all sorts of things, not just internally, but externally to the world around us. But when we choose to live our lives based on the truth that we find in God's word, it requires discipline. It requires determination. It requires perseverance. It requires patience. And those are things we don't really like to work on. Nobody's amening that. But yeah, you could do like my wife said, true. So these commands seem impossible without something. And that something is the one thing we haven't talked about yet. And it's the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you, though. If you wait to obey until you feel like it, you will never obey. How many of you in this room have had children or grandchildren? Just raise your hands. Okay, so that's the majority of us. If you wait to obey till when you feel like it, nothing would ever get done because I don't feel like it. I feel like doing the thing I want to do. So these commands have nothing to do with how you feel. For these three things are the will of God for every believer. These commands are impossible to do without help and without the helper. Look at verse 19. It says this, a very clear, another, just sharply worded, clear cut to the point command. Do not quench the spirit. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think there's any coincidences in the word of God that we have that's the established word of God that we read. But I don't think there's any coincidence that the great apostle admonished the church at Thessalonica to not quench the spirit. You say, well, pastor, we don't use that word very often, quench. It's an old school kind of thought. We still use it in modern language. When I say quench, you say, no, I'm kidding. When I say quench, you may say, oh, I'm thinking of a Sprite commercial. Quench your thirst or Gatorade or something like that. You know, you imagine somebody who's walking through the desert and they're finally receiving water. It's been days and days and they're thirsty and they're emaciated and they're about to pass out and they finally get life-giving clean water. You think about it like that. But I want to encourage you to understand that when Paul wrote this letter, and in fact, all of the letters he wrote were in Greek. And the Greek word that's used there, we translate it quench in many versions of the Bible. But the deeper understanding is more along the lines of extinguishing a fire. So... The same thing could be true. You could say, quench my thirst, extinguish a fire. They're different or opposing forces. But I want you to think about it in this way. When Paul says this to the church, he is telling them, don't put your wet blanket on the Holy Spirit. Don't deny his work. Don't stop his work. Amen? So we could say, don't extinguish the Spirit. It's my opinion that you need to obey this fourth command first before you really can get the other three in line. I don't know that they were given in order. They're not God's Ten Commandments given in that order. But I really think that we ought to obey the 
fourth one first, because if we make an attempt to welcome the Holy Spirit into our day, into our finances, into our job, our workplace, into our marriage and family and school, if we make an attempt to never quench the Holy Spirit of God, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was speaking truly when he said, when I go, you will receive the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper. We've got to have, listen, you need help. (laughs) Somebody say amen. You need help in this life and you definitely need help to obey God's word when it comes to these commands. So when the Holy Spirit nudges you and you say, Pastor, you're speaking like super spiritual. I don't know if I can ever say the Holy Spirit prompted me. Let me help you. If it was a good thought to do something nice and kind towards someone, don't exalt yourself. Give honor to God because his Holy Spirit nudged you in that direction to do that kind deed or to pray for that person or whatever the case may be. So when you hear that, feel that, then don't deny it. Don't put it off. Don't delay your obedience. Don't shut him up. Don't shut him out. Allow him access to your day, to the situation that you're facing, the circumstance you find yourself in. Remember, he's your helper. He's a friend and he wants to help you. So don't refuse his help. In fact, something interesting, and I think some of y'all caught this a little earlier when I said this, but we are commanded to do things in scripture because they are things that we would not normally choose to do. Let me give you an example. Love one another. Well, you don't understand. Sister Sally took my seat last week and I just love one another, right? So the commands are there because they're helping us to do things we wouldn't normally choose. You say, well, pastor, that seems tougher than what I've heard a TV preacher talk about. It is, okay? And there's also commands for us to not do certain things that we would easily choose to do. That's why you've got Ten Commandments that say don't steal. You know that person that you really wish was no longer on the planet? Don't murder them. Because it's commanding us to not do something that we would find it easy to do. So when Paul gives these instructions, I want you to understand this today. When he gives this instruction to the church, these four commands, very quick fashion, and he says do this, do this, do this, and don't do this, It's very important that you understand you can't do or don't any of these things without the help that comes only from God. In developing this message, I was researching and looking for, I was reading articles from psychologists and psychiatrists and a study from Harvard, a study from Berkeley, different things about people going through hard times and a group of people, they're all the same, but half of them were split up and asked to do like a a gratitude journal, write what you're thankful for, and the other half. You would not believe some of the results of these things. Just having an attitude 
or being forced in some way to be thankful and grateful. These people recuperated faster, were out of the hospital fast. Like, it's amazing. There's some really neat things out there. But having said that, when I was reading through some of these things, I started to look at and think about what some obstacles would be to thankfulness. Like, what causes your kid or your grandkid to not be thankful? If I opened up the mic and handed it to you, I'm sure you're thinking of something right now. They could be, it could be pride. It could be arrogance or vanity. It could be self-entitlement or entitlement. They think they deserve something better. You know, there's a lot of different things that are obstacles or opposites of thankfulness and gratefulness. I think when people have an excessive sense of self-importance, that's an important one. You think yourself way too important, and so you think you're owed or deserve what you've got, which means you don't say thank you, and you don't have a heart of thanksgiving. I think complaining is another obstacle. It's another obstacle or opposite from thanksgiving. I really don't think that it's possible for you to have a grateful heart and a complaining mouth. Preach this to somebody you know who's a complainer, okay? Because I know it doesn't apply to you. Listen to me. I don't think that you can have a grateful heart and your lips be full of complaints. There's, it's just not possible. Complaining is the opposite of giving Thanks. If you've ever spent time with a complainer, you've probably walked away breathing a breath of fresh air and relief going, thank God that's over. And you know them by their real names, but I'll just call them Daniel and Debbie Downer. <laughs> okay. I felt, I felt bad, not Daniel. Okay, well, I, there had to be a guy's name. Ladies, don't you agree? Because there's negative Nancy. There's sassy Sally. Okay. There's Debbie Downer. And I was like, what? Listen, I'm a dude, I've complained, and listen, we could just call him dude. That's it, dude the downer, okay? So dude the downer, because it's definitely not Daniel. Dude the downer, um, these people, they're just not fun to be around. They suck the life out of the room that you're in. They suck the joy out of your day. They suck the strength out of your day. It's just not fun or enjoyable or life-giving to be around those people. And I started thinking about complaining and I thought about all the occurrences in scripture that happen that talk about complaining. And what I'm, I'm not saying just a simple complaint about the weather today being, oh, it's too cold outside for me. I'm talking about the habit of always being in a constant state of complaining. But I started thinking about Scripture and thinking about some uh, things that I knew from Scripture and some that I had to be refreshed on, where people complained against their leaders, where they complained against God. And in those moments, they were not thankful or grateful. In fact, they complained about Moses. They complained to Moses about God. Job. There's an idea of Job. If you've ever read the book, if you haven't, you should. He actually complains righteously to God and says, I am being unjustly served this punishment. Here is literally, the Bible translates it, he says, here is my complaint. 
So there's an idea of complaining when it's unjust and things like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pattern of complaining, which the Israelites definitely had. Wouldn't you agree? They definitely complained. And if we're not careful, we would say, oh, yeah, those Israelites, oh, my gosh, what horrible, terrible, no good people. But at the end of the day, we've all been guilty of complaining. And when we complain, there is no room for gratefulness in our hearts. I can't get this other page off. Sorry. There's no room for that in our hearts. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Don't complain. (laughs) It says, do all things without complaining. We're actually commanded not to complain. My children know this verse well. That means don't complain about the green beans on the table. It means don't complain about the bike we got at the yard sale instead of the brand new one. It means don't complain about it being too cold, too hot. It means don't complain. Truly, when you complain, you are denying the sufficiency of God's grace. You truly are. Because Paul had a conversation with Jesus, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, Jesus said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's my complaint. God, I'm weak. God, I'm going through it. God, look, at, look down here. Have you forgotten me? Jesus says clearly to Paul that his grace, God's grace, is sufficient for him in the moments of his weakness. So it's important that we understand if we complain, what we're essentially doing is denying the grace of God and how sufficient he is. We're saying, God, you're not enough. And there can be devastating results in your life if you choose to cultivate the habit of complaining instead of intentionally living a life of thanksgiving. So this week, my encouragement to you is going to be to check yourself. Be self-aware before you speak and make sure that you're not the person that we've been talking about not wanting to be around. That you are or that you become and you strive to be that person who lives a life of thanksgiving. Because devastating results happen when you choose complaining over that idea of living a life of thanksgiving. In fact, God sent plagues. Look up at me and listen to me well. God did not just send plagues to his enemies. He sent them to his own people because they wouldn't shut up complaining. In fact, there's one section in scripture in Numbers where it says that he threw he got so angry, God is an emotional being. He got so angry at their complaining that he I know he could have wiped them out. And he knows he could have wiped them out. But it says this. It says he threw down fire at the outskirts of the camp in order to get them to shut up. That would get me to start running in the other direction and try to get away. It literally says he threw down fire to the outskirts of their encampment. 
because of their complaining. He cursed Miriam, Moses' sister, who spoke against Moses and joined in with all the naysayers and the negative people and the complainers. And God cursed her with leprosy. God takes this serious, y'all. That's what I'm telling you. It's not just, well, that's just how brother John is. No, you need to figure out how to live a life of thanksgiving. And can I be so bold as to say, shut up with all your complaining. That's what we've really got the challenge to do. I bet you didn't realize this, but the 10 unbelieving spies who came back with the report and said, nope, we can't do it. We're not going there. The Bible calls them unbelieving because they lacked faith in God's ability to do what he said he would do. But it says that they came back and they stirred up murmuring and complaining because they were telling people, we don't think we can conquer the promised land. I bet you didn't know how they died. The Bible says very clearly in Numbers chapter 14 how they died. And this is eye-opening. The men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. That means God eliminated those who were the troublemakers that stirred up complaints and grumbling and all those things. Numbers chapter 16 gives an account of a man named Korah. Korah was part of the Levite clan and part of those who were in leadership of the nation, the Bible says that he essentially incited 250 well-known leaders of the people to start complaining against Moses. And God dealt with them very strongly. You may never have heard this story. It says this in Numbers chapter 16, verse 31. As soon as Moses had finished speaking, essentially he's speaking a curse upon those who have been complaining. The Bible says in verse 31, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, literally all their belongings. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into the pit, into Sheol. And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All because they complained and stirred up complaint against God's appointed person in leadership. Why can't we just go back to Egypt? Why do we have to die out here in the desert? Like that's the sort of stuff that was going on. In fact, it's a very... if it wasn't so sad, it would be a little bit humorous because the preceding verses in Numbers 14, tell, Moses tells all the people that live near Korah, he says, listen, y'all need to pack your bags and move to the other side of the camp. God's about to handle this. And God did. 
Have I ever told my kids this story? Yes, I have. God opened up the earth and swallowed them because they were complaining. It's the benefit. It's the perk of being a pastor's kid. Anyway, suffice it to say this, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. God despises complaining. Well, pastor, I have strong feelings about something. How do I voice them? Figure it out. You'll find a plan and find a way to do it that is not in a way that is complaining. Make sure that you understand a process of getting something done that needs to really actually get done without you just meh, 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 meh about it. Because complaining doesn't fix the problem. I knew somebody I worked with that always complained about the weather. It didn't matter if it was sunny, it's too bright. If it was rainy, it's too cold. It's too this, it's too that. That kind of person. No, I don't want to be that kind of person because God despises complaining. And the cure for complaining is turning my eyes up and being thankful. You may remember the story in Luke chapter 17, a story of 10 lepers. If you remember that story, raise your hand. Jesus healed 10 lepers. Verse 15, it says this. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I want you to quietly read the next phrase. Now he was a Samaritan. Do you understand the feeling that Jesus must have endured in that moment? His ministry on earth is all about reconciliation, reconciling people to God, making a way. There are lepers there, some of which are his own blood, his own people, and they didn't come back to thank him for the healing they received. You say, well, pastor, maybe they were just busy. Maybe they were just running really fast to go back to their wives and kids and say, look, I'm healed. Maybe they you know, gave God praise later. Jesus makes it a point to say that he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even our own folk. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise or thanks to God except a foreigner and he said to him rise and go your way your faith has made you whole your faith has healed you and I believe his heart of thanksgiving sealed the deal the fact that he was willing to come back I want to ask you to stand with us today I want to ask you to consider living a life like that one leper that you would be the one who returns don't get so far into your own path and your own progress your own promotion in this life to say with pride and a puffed up chest look what I've done I've done this, I've done that look at the things I own if we go that direction will never develop a heart of thanksgiving. But let a marker be placed in our minds during this season that it's not just that one moment, 
let's resolve to be people that live a life of thanksgiving that are not the downers or the negative or the complainers or any of those things and let's not just give thanks at a holiday meal I encourage you and I talk to students all the time because I'm at a school where I substitute teach and I talk to all grade levels and I'm surprised to hear them in a Christian school say they don't pray over meals. Most often they don't sit down for meals together. Like the world, we've literally gone a different path than what I grew up in. It's different now. But I always encourage them. Take time before you even unwrap your McDonald's while you're driving to your next appointment and say, thank you, Jesus. Well, pastor, that's my paycheck that bought that McDonald's. God is the source of everything that you need. And so that's why we give thanks. Close your eyes. Bow your heads with me today. Would you in your heart, use your lips if you choose to, but at least in your heart, would you have that prayer ready? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe you need to confess your pride or your complaining or whatever to the Lord. Maybe you just need to resolve and say, God, I don't think I've been doing that great of a job. I need the help of your Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Holy Spirit, speak to your church. Lord, we confess that we do go our own way. We do the things we want to do rather than obey the things that we are told in your word. We don't do the things that you tell us to do. Lord, we're a broken people and we're so in need of help from you. God, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live a life of thanksgiving and obeying.